invite you this morning to grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. Last week we started a series entitled, What is Church? And we started in part 1, the beginning, we'll continue in that same vein. This morning, I would encourage you, if you weren't able to be here, whether because of sickness or weather last week, uh, maybe, uh, I encourage you maybe to get online and check out uh, the message from last week. We'll just do, I'll share just a couple thoughts from last week, kind of foundationally, but it'd be great for you to go back and, and listen to that message online on our website and uh, and kind of get up catch up to speed with where we're at we're going to keep moving on this morning and uh, this is a crucial subject matter boy my prayer for you is just what those ladies sing about is counting your many blessings that you would see that one of the greatest blessings that god has given each of us as a child of god is the local church his church and God has a specific role for it to play. In fact, in our modern society, and yea, even in our good churches, we saw last week, we, we shared some statistics uh, making or showing that, uh, making the point, showing that uh, in our modern society right now, church has just, in the view of many, has dwindled. It has diminished its importance and uh, its uh, crucial nature to our lives has, uh, is pretty much being ignored. We identified this truth that probably the problem, what underlines all of it, uh, is this truth that many have lost sight and understanding of what the church is and the size and extent of the role that it is to play in the life of every believer. So we in this study want to get back to scriptures to see what is God's plan and purpose for the local church. The, lo- the, the local manifestation of God's universal church, uh, His church, the Church of Christ. And His design to use it for the furtherance of His kingdom, not only among the masses around the world, but in your life and in mine. It's central. Hey, Christian, the local church is central to God's plan for you for your discipleship, for your growth into the likeness of Jesus Christ, God has ordained that the tool of the local church plays a huge part. We shared this quote with you last week, and I think it's a good one. Uh, This author wrote it, The church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, our study of the word. It must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center. Great challenge. We began looking at some of the truths, some some of the facts about God's plan and purpose for the local church in being just that, central in our lives. And so in looking at his blueprint, his design, we want to see some truths presented in Scripture, uh, identify several key truths that must be found in every church. And so we looked at these first couple the last week. Number one, the church is founded upon and unified around the Savior, Jesus Christ. No other foundation can any other can man lay than Jesus Christ. He alone is the proper foundation. Then number two, oh, excuse me, then number two, let's go back there. Number two, the church administers the first step of obedience for every Christian. That's baptism. We plan on having one following this, this service. And that's what the church, we saw that through the book of Acts. And we understood that that is, uh, that is part and parcel of the church's responsibility. Number three, we looked at this. The church is how Christians collectively identify themselves. We saw through Acts how 
collectively they were referred to as the church. And every Christian being a part of that literally assumed that they would be a part of the church. They were the church once they were saved and baptized. The number four, the church, when assembled, possesses a corporate power unmatched on the individual level unmatched on the individual level and what we can do as a church as a group cannot be obtained or done by an individual so god has ordained that you and i come together gathered together to accomplish things for the kingdom of god for his glory what must what must our goal in life be well frankly to bring glory to god in everything so the local church is one means by which you and i can bring the utmost glory to god and that's his design and plan. Then today, we're going to look at two others. going to add to it. Number five, notice it with me, if you will. Number five, the church is both the passion and possession of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we'll talk about what that means and what the implications are. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 25 and following, if you will, with me. Some places or sometime in our Sunday school, some of our adult classes, we've been here for a little while as we've studied marriage. But notice verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to it himself, uh, it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or, or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the lord the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones for this cause shall a man leave excuse me his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh and culminating verse verse 32 this is a great mystery for i speak concerning christ in the church as you and i might read this passage we might think immediately to a wedding ceremony where this passage has been read it has been shared as we think of a bride and a groom and that very special day but as we read it this morning here at the beginning i want you to focus in on just how much jesus christ loves the church this past week we had valentine's day if you missed it you're probably in trouble okay but valentine's day was a day for you to just enjoy the love of a significant other to enjoy the love of a spouse and maybe they they, they serenaded you by singing to you maybe that's not a gift but anyway uh, maybe they sang to you. maybe they uh, gave you gifts whatever the case may be they bestowed they showed they demonstrated their love and you you enjoyed that love can i encourage you this morning that as we think of this passage would you just sit back and enjoy how much jesus christ loves you you are the church and he loves you like no one else could ever love you you look at this passage and we think about it yes it speaks of the universal church of christ we understand that the family of god of which the local assembly or church is the tangible manifestation in our lives but i want you to see uh, what this passage bears out for us i want you to see especially verse 27 this morning Note that Christ is continually working through the local church to do what? To cleanse and purify and prepare the church, the universal church, for eternity. 
So he's using the local church to prepare the universal church for all of eternity. Look, verse 27. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God cares enough about you and I that he cleans us up. That he uses the local church to say, wait a second, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you better. Aren't you thankful today that God cares enough to to change us, to make us better? That's his heart. He loves us that much. I'm thankful when my wife looks at me and says, hey, you know what? You have hair sticking up here. You have something on your face here. You you have this. Your collar's sticking up, okay? Um, one time I went through a whole service, a message, and I preached, and I had something unbuttoned all wrong, and she was down here making all the signals in the world. I completely missed it. And then afterwards, boy, I felt dumb because I'm down. She goes, you know, like on the front row, I'm like, I just preached the whole time. Hopefully none of you noticed it. But anyway, uh, I'm thankful she does those kind of things. She cares about, she wants me to look nice. And she, she, I mean, that's a, that's a demonstration of love. We might not read it at first in that verse, but I want you to see your God loves you enough that not only save you, but to sanctify you, to keep working on you. A little kid's song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Man, that shows your God's love for you, friend. And he's still working on you. Oh, this passage certainly tells us about his love, his passion for his bride. It's tender, his love is. It's compassionate, it's patient. He isn't fickle, he isn't up and down. When you don't do things right, his love doesn't change, it doesn't wane. It's not like he treats you nice one day and then he's moody the next. Aren't you thankful God isn't moody? Aren't you thankful? His love is not fickle, it's not all over the board. In fact, we would say it this way, your God's love to you is committed love. He's committed. He gave himself for you, friend. He intercedes on your behalf, even now in heaven. He goes to bat for you. Uh, He is the one that nourishes us. This is what this passage says. He cherishes us. He sustains us. He adores the church. He protects it. We are literally his possession, and we are his passion. Verses 30 through 31 even take it a step farther. It speaks of you and I in the marriage picture being one flesh with Christ. Literally, we are the extension of the life of Christ. We are His creation spiritually. He has made us a new life that we enjoy in Him. In the deepness of His love for you and I, He identifies with us. One flesh. No longer twain, but when we came to trust Christ as our Savior, we became one flesh with Him. He chose to do that, His love. Uh, We certainly don't deserve that. But literally, that is the extent of His love for us, His passion for us, His church, His bride. Uh, Paul points out that the marriage covenant that was ordained, designed, and presented in Genesis is a grand picture of the mysterious grand union between Christ and the church. Marriage was created to beautifully picture it for the world. So think of it. All the human things that go into marriage, all the romance, all all the undying love, all the unconditional love, all, all the passionate commitment point in a small way to the intense love that God has for His church, you and me. Everything that's wrapped up in the marriage relationship is a picture of God's love. Do you remember, those of you who have been married, do you remember that day 
maybe many years ago or for some not so long ago when you as the husband or the groom at the moment you stood here in a platform and the doors opened in the back and there appeared your beautiful bride can you go back there for just a moment and think of maybe you were the bride and you were standing in the back and all of a sudden the doors open and there you see the whole crowd uh, and yet though your eyes were drawn to the front where there he was the hunk of your dreams standing there on the platform you go back to that moment you know what that moment encapsulates it encapsulates all the feelings for months, years building up. This is the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, that I am committed to, that I'm going to cleave to, that I'm going to weave to, as we've studied in Sunday school. This is the person that I'm choosing to spend the rest of my life with, that we shall become one flesh in the sight of God, in the sight of man, and I have undying, unbelievable love for her or for him. You remember that, friend? Husband, do you remember that? How your heart just... I hope she still comes, amen? <laughs> I hope she doesn't run out the back. I remember it well. I remember that day, and I just wanted to get it over with. I, uh, I just wanted to be done. But I was so such a... See her there, and certainly a great picture, and all white, and coming this way, and that beautiful moment when her father passes her off, and we are joined together in arms here. And the love you feel in that moment. Can I tell you, my friend, listen to me very carefully. Your Savior and your Lord loves the church that way every day. Every day. That is just a small minutia of a picture of His love for us. And I'll tell you, my friend, it is good to be loved. So what's the point, Pastor? Why, why are we talking about Christ and His love for the church? What, what does that have to do with us? Listen carefully. Here's why. Because one of the most compelling arguments for us to belong to a local church, to submit to a local church, to get plugged in, to fulfill all the biblical roles given to us, to love it, to be passionate about it, is simply this. Jesus loves, greatly loves, and is passionate about the church his church put it this way let me just restate it why should you be lovingly and passionately committed to the church because jesus christ is lovingly and passionately committed to the church who is jesus christ well you and i know it this christian life is all about being an imitator of jesus christ we're supposed to emulate him uh, we will often say okay what would the life who is whose goal is to live like christ what would that look like and so we try to live that way. We say the Christian life is all about, as it is, coming into the very image of Christ, being like Christ in our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our actions. We are trying to come into the very image of Jesus Christ. And so we ought to love what Christ loves. We ought to be passionate about what, we, what Christ is passionate about. But have you ever thought about this? It's true. We would embrace that. But you know what we often speak of, we often pray for is this, God, help me to love the lost as you love the lost. Father, help me to see the poor and needy all around me and help me to love them and care about them as you care about them. Those are great desires, but you know what you seldom hear someone pray? Father, help me to love the church as you love the church. Christ, help me to be passionate about the local church like you love the local church. 
See, we don't, we don't often hear that. We don't often pray that. You know, I'll tell you, my friend, Christ sure loves the church. Just as much as he loves the, the, the lost, just as much as he cares about the, the poor and the needy, he loves the church. As you and I strive to emulate him, it should be much the same. The church is Christ's bride who he loves, who he died for. You want a good picture of our Lord's love for his bride? Let's put it this way. What if you were to leave today? Let's say that, uh, hopefully not in the parking lot, but let's say you went somewhere, you stopped by the grocery store, maybe you went out to eat, and, and husband, some rascal comes up to you folks as you're walking in the grocery store, or you're sitting there and eating, and that rascal starts going off on your wife. He starts saying all kinds of mean and unkind things, and he starts insulting and, and complaining about how she looks and, and what she does. He, he starts to, boy, just go off on all her problems, her faults, and her failures, and, and literally almost in your wife's face. Now, I dare say, I know many of the men here in this church, I think they would intervene, and it probably wouldn't be pretty. You would stand up for your bride someone's not going to be able to come up and just go off and and yell and scream and and, and get in your bride's face, obviously and reasonably so. Now, can I ask you this? What is the church? It's Christ's bride. How do you think Christ would act? How do you think Christ feels when someone runs his church into the ground? It's his bride. What would you put up with? I still remember the day. I, I do. It's like, it's, it's burning my memory. I remember that one day when I said something smart alecky to my mom, I, I responded to her when I shouldn't. My dad was within earshot, and I'll tell you, before I knew it, my dad was standing right in front of me. He looked at me, he said, Slick, don't you ever talk to my wife that way again, or. And I don't remember the rest of it, but the first part got it in. I don't have to remember what he said. He made his point. Don't you ever talk to my wife like that again. Yes, she was my mother, but I'll tell you, long before she was my mother, she was his wife, his bride. Now, I want you to see something, and I want you to understand something this morning. Part of the reason I love and respect my mother is because her husband loved and respected her. My friend, I'll tell you, there's a reason you and I ought to be passionate about the local church It's because Jesus Christ is. He loves it. He's passionate about it. I wonder if if when you and I started to complain about our church, not a building, people, when when he started to whine, when we started to say something unloving and unkind about a fellow member or even a pastor, what if we just stopped and thought for a second, wait a second, I am talking bad about Jesus' bride. If Jesus were here, what would he do? Oh, he may not physically do it, but I'll tell you, spiritually it breaks his heart. Because you aren't just talking about another person. You aren't just running Fostoria Baptist Church in the ground. Hey, my friend, you know what you're doing? You're talking about Jesus Christ's bride. His love. The one that he is passionate about more than anything. Now, wait a second. Don't be fooled. Don't be mistaken. Just like a husband knows all of his wife's weaknesses and mistakes better than anyone, so Christ knows all the problems and issues within the church. 
But that doesn't, that does not cause his love and passion to wane for the church. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that, you know, we don't come to a point in, in the Revelation where, where he's talking to the church. He said, you know what, folks, um, to the church at Laodicea, forget it. My plan for the church didn't work out because you people messed it up. We're just going to drop the whole thing. He didn't say that. And yet we read in Revelation these churches are faltering. They're failing in some things. They're not doing what they ought to do. And yet what is consistent through it all? Jesus Christ's love for the church. He loves his church. Though he knows all that's wrong with it and all the problems. And so it should be the same for us. You and I, I, there's probably not one of us. I've lived 43 years since the first couple weeks of my life I've been in church. All of us, or a good number of us, have probably had some negative experiences in the local church. One way or the other fellow believers, administration, whatever the case may be, we, we've probably had some negative experiences. Or we have convinced, been convinced of problems by our own wrong perceptions. But the problem is then in turn, we let it affect our attitudes. We let it affect our commitment, which then in turn causes us to drift from the very institution that God has called each of us to be investing part of our lives in while we are away from home. See, we look at that. I mean, what if we treated marriage? What if we treated other things that God has instituted like we do church? And we so easily turn our back. We easily drift away. We easily allow ourselves to not be plugged into it. If you love the church like Christ does, if you are passionate about the church like your Lord is, you will commit and invest yourself in it. You know what you'll say? I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get to work in the church to make it better, to help be part of the solution and to see it fulfill its role in my life and in the life of fellow believers. If, if I love it and I'm passionate about it like he is, then I'll do that. Can I tell you? But that, that's only going to happen if you love the church. Because if you don't love the church, then you'll start seeing. It's interesting. You see, you know, couples maybe with time, the love wanes, and they start to see the, 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 the moles, the scars, the ugliness, and they allow that to affect them. But can I tell you what true love does? True love sees those things and loves even more. True love says, wait, I choose to love, and, and I'm going to love you in spite of those things. And, and I sure am thankful. The older I've got, the less I look young, my wife still loves me. Aren't some of you? You know, some of you, your wife married you for all the waves, and all that's left are the shores. <laughs> Bald, okay, forget it. Anyway, some of you get that later. Hey, aren't you thankful you're, they still love you? Can I tell you, if you and I are following God's Christ's footsteps, we'll still love the church and we'll love it even more even though we know it's not perfect because that's the kind of love that God shows you and me can I tell you I show my God every day listen to me I show my God every day that I am not perfect but every day my God loves me same is true for you and if we are to emulate and we are to love like God loves and my friend God Jesus Christ loves and is passionate about the church. How about you?
How about you? Number two, quickly, notice it, number six, and our statements are truth. Number six, the church has unique authority given to it by Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I like this truth. I think this is a, a, a great teaching of Scripture, and it'll, it'll cause you to think. So if you haven't been engaged with us in thinking thus far, yeah, yeah, turn on your thinking cap, amen? And uh, as my third grade teacher would say. Matthew chapter 28. Look towards the end of the, the, the chapter. You know that well, and the Great Commission we call it. Well, look at verse 18 especially, but we'll read 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, that's a great statement. All power. He has authority. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, and whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, take this whole passage together. The Greek term for power is not the normal term or the other term, uh, didymus, which we derive dynamite from, meaning great strength of power, but rather it's a term here that indicates superiority, authority, or control. So verse 18, he's saying, all authority is given unto me. Where? Well, in heaven and in earth. So he has the authority. We will sometimes refer to Satan as the God, little g, of this world. But don't let that erase in our hearts and our minds the understanding that Jesus Christ is still in control. He has authority. He even established it here to these followers. And every authority here on earth is derived from Jesus Christ, our God. Whether it be that of a pastor, or that of parents, or that of a state, a government, or that of a church, it all comes from Jesus Christ. The state, the Bible says, the state wields the sword. In other words, punishment of evildoers, rewarder of those that do good. The state wields that sword because Christ has given the state the authority to do so. Um, The parents, parents are to be obeyed. They are to be respected. Why? Well, simply because God put them in that position and has given them authority. Children, you ought to obey your parents. How? In the Lord. He's the one that gave them authority. Hebrews 11, or excuse me, in Hebrews and other passages, we are told that pastors and others in authority in the local church are to be submitted to because Christ has imparted to them such authority. Obey them to have the rule over you. Because they're going to give an account, an answer for your souls. So obey them. So God has established authority. All of these positions, places of authority exist, notice this, through God's permission, not the other way around. See, in China now, we have the state, and in other places, we have the state, the government, trying to give permission or take away permission for the church to operate. Can I tell you, that's not the state's power. That's not their authority. It's not. See, they don't give permission to God to to run the church. No, God has given them permission to do what he has commanded them to do. Now think of it. It, It's why human nations cannot stop God's kingdom. (laughs) We are called, even in this passage, what are we called to do? To march upon the nations of the world. Uh, to take the kingdom of God to every person for His glory. Presidents, 
nor kings, nor tyrants, nor monarchs, nor communists, nor the gates of hell will stop his church. It won't. Such truth tells us the church, like the state, is an agent of God. It's an authority erected by God for a specific duty. So what should that do? That should cause our view of the state to diminish. When it steps outside the bounds of what God intended to do, it has no power or authority. Listen, my friend, the government has no right to tell you when life begins, God already established it. So the, the state can't do that. It has stepped outside of its bounds. The state cannot tell us about when to worship and how to worship God. That is outside of their God-given authority. When it's under their authority, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But when they step outside of their God-given authority, my friend, their power and authority is gone. It's gone. So we have to understand, wait a minute, that that should diminish the state. And we know it well in Western civilization as in others. The state has overstepped its bounds. Can I tell you another area is this, the education of your children. That's not the state's business. That's your business, mom and dad. That's the scripture's business. And we could go on and on. We could go and expand. Hey, this understanding of the authority is derived from God, from Jesus Christ, and passed on ought to make the state diminish in our eyes and in our thoughts. And yet at the same time, at the same time, it should make our view of the church increase. Because wait a minute, God has given it authority just like the state has authority. God has erected the the church to be authority in my life. And yet in the Western culture, we we said some of this last week, in the Western culture, we have witnessed the demise of the authority of the church. Where once it was the cornerstone of society, it was an invaluable institution in shaping and informing life and thinking. Where it was valued for imparting values and morals, It's now tragically underestimated, it is belittled, it is undervalued, and therefore it is undercommitted to. We don't recognize the authority God-given. We don't see it as the agent of God. We have relegated the church to, quote-unquote, a club status. It's... Too easy for us to view as voluntary organization where membership is optional for a believer. Church is now considered little more than a group of friendly people with a religious hobby in common that gather once a week to talk about their hobby. It is as if we have taken the title of our assembling together too literally. You say, What do you mean, Pastor? Well, we have a, a 10 o'clock Sunday school. We have an 11 o'clock service. We have a, a 6 o'clock service on, on on Sunday. It's like we take the 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. service. We encourage people to come into the building, and they get serviced. They get a spiritual tune-up for their soul and a life in 60 minutes. That is not church. That's not church. That's not his plan. That's not his design. That's not his blueprint. What our actions and living are saying is the church has no authority in one's life. It is a consumer mentality that has no place in God's family and in the hearts and the minds of his children. You say, Pastor Henry, what's the consumer mentality? Well, think about it. We, we have been 
we have been grown, we have been educated in a consumer mentality everywhere else. What is it? Well, it's when we look for the best product for the price of our Sunday morning. We make, it makes us fickle, critical, and not invested for the long term. Much like a lover with a wondering eye. Always on the hunt for something better. Always seeking the greener grass. Can I tell you, God designs something better for every Christian, and it rests upon you and I seeing the authority that Jesus passed on to the church, an authority that every Christian is called upon to submit to for their own benefit, for the benefit of their fellow believers, and for the benefit of the world at large. Now, I'll tell you, this is hard for many of us to swallow. Why? Because we're Americans. We're independent. We're naturally, by humans, we're independent. And so we give in to the unbiblical notion that we alone have the authority to conduct our Christian lives on our own. And I'll tell you, my friend, nothing could be farther from the truth of God's purpose and plan. Listen carefully. I need the church. The church needs me. I am the church, and the church is me. And that goes for every single one of us. That is God's plan and His design. I like how one author described what the church is. Really, its overall role that it plays in our lives as believers. Excuse me, I'm behind. There you go. The local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to my Christian life and yours. The church is the vehicle or agent for several things which we will highlight in this series. But we want to focus now on its authority derived from Jesus Christ to serve in this role in the lives of believers. In other words, it is to be the main disciple maker in our lives. Matthew 28 said it. Go and make disciples, teaching them. And now he said, okay, I want the church to fulfill that. The church is the main means to fulfill such a thing. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 16 real quick in the few moments we have left. Matthew chapter 16. Let's see this authority as it passes from Christ to to, uh, the disciples and apostles, then on to the church. Matthew chapter 16. Look with me in verse 17. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Follow with me logically. Follow what we see presented in scriptures, will you? Notice it, verse 17. We read this passage last week. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Woo! And see, every person growing up, every young person likes to get the keys to the car. Amen? Here's Peter. He's saying, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? He explains. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged these disciples, they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Notice that last week we focused on these two verses of this passage. Now I want you to look at verse 19. I want you to see where it talks about the keys of the kingdom, which is a statement of authority. I'm giving you authority, he said. Uh, it's something the apostles displayed in the early beginning of the church when Christ had already returned to heaven. Literally, essentially, he made them God's official representatives on earth, affirming true believers, serving judicially in the lives of the followers of Christ. 
Remember in Acts last week, we read that the early church did what? Well, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Literally, their teaching, their instruction, uh, their judgment, we might even say. We saw that in Acts, in that statement. The idea here of binding and loosing, as, uh, as verse 19 describes it, uh, that idea is a, is a judicial activity. In other words, it's referenced and was presented by the rabbi. A rabbi in that time for the Jews would be the one who would determine whether a law applied to a certain individual or a certain circumstance. So they would go before the rabbi and he would decide, okay, this law, you're bound to this law. Yes, it applies in this situation. Well, no, not in this situation. You're not bound by it. You're loosed from the law in this situation. And so So uh, it was a judicial activity that is represented by this word. And so he's literally giving Peter and the apostles this authority. Now, it's interesting that that authority is given to the apostles. We know that from this passage, Christ is speaking of the foundational beginning. The apostles were foundational to the church. Now, look at the only other time that Jesus speaks about the church. He mentions it here. Now, look ahead a couple chapters, Matthew 18. Look at Matthew 18. We're given one of the practical ways, tangible ways, that the keys of the kingdom are employed by the local church. Look at verse 15, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fall between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou gain thy brother. Verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, uh, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17. If he shall neglect to hear thee, notice this, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican, an unsaved person. Verse 18. Does this sound familiar? Verily I say unto you, whatever, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Then verse 20 has the simplest form of the church. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What do we have here in this passage? You know it well. There's an offense between believers. There's a sin that has been committed. Now notice that this is quite interesting. In the biblical progression of dealing with the sin, the church is presented by Jesus Christ as the ultimate authority here on earth. Take it to the church. And then if they will not listen to the church, if they will not be swayed by the church and convinced, take it to the church. If that does not happen, then they are rendered to be as a publican, a heathen. It's quite a statement. Literally, he's saying that as it's the ultimate authority here on earth, is verse 17, they hold the power, the church holds the power to remove from membership, deeming them not to be living, uh, that person not to be living in such a way that reflects a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. To hammer home the point, verses 18 and 19, give this authority to the church through its application of the keys of the kingdom of Christ. And w- what you bind, what you lose here on earth is like as in heaven. That's the description. The same thing that Christ said just a couple chapters earlier. And yet here, who's he speaking about? The local church. The local manifestation of the universal church of Christ and gives it authoritative power here on earth. You see, one of the main points of that authority is what we call here in this passage, church discipline. 
reality, the church has three ordinances. We say just two because of the Lord's Supper and, and the baptism. But reality is the church is also called to employ church discipline. You see here, we have to understand this. Now, don't miss it. From this passage and others, we understand this simple truth. The authority and ability to remove a person from membership necessitates a God-giving, overarching authority to evaluate a person's walk and talk and to pronounce a binding judgment. Now listen to me. Listen carefully. Let's see it practically played out in the local church. In just a few moments, we're going to have someone who is baptized. That person has come. They have expressed and have given fruit that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the church, you and I, me as pastor and authority within the local church, we have deemed that person to show some fruit of trusting in Jesus Christ. Someone comes to join membership. The same thing is true. We have seen fruit in their life. We've heard their testimony of putting their faith and trust in Christ. The authority is given to the local church to affirm that they are a child of God, that they are the family of God. Can someone come and lie? Can they put forth fruit and, and not be real? Certainly. But if that's the case in the local church, you know what the local church is called upon? If someone is living as someone who is like someone who is not a Christian, if someone is living like Jesus Christ is not the Lord of their life, it is the church's responsibility to come alongside them and help them, to challenge them, has the authority to do so. So there is great authority given to the local church by Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, we can only logically and biblically conclude that when it comes to a Christian's fathership of Christ, that is, his earthly journey, journey of discipleship, next to the Scriptures, the local church is the Christian's highest authority on earth, according to God's plan. And that is a great thing that God has designed and His blueprint. It's not to say that the church or even the state or even parents have absolute authority. Hey, the church does not hold the power of salvation. That's not within the church's authority. And the church certainly isn't perfect. But God does intend for every believer to willingly submit to the oversight and authority of the local churches as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's His plan. That's His desires. Does that mean that every local church is perfect? <laughs> no way. Just like people, churches, because churches are people, churches and pastors can falter and fail in how they handle the keys of the kingdom. In that sense, the church is an imperfect representation of the great gathering of the universal church in the time to come. But what did we start out with? We understood that failures and mistakes do not negate God's love for us. Now listen to me. Failures and mistakes do not negate the authority of the local church either. It doesn't negate it. In other words, pastors, presidents, and parents have all made mistakes. Hey, if you're a parent today and you're the perfect parent, raise your hand. Not one, really? Hey, presidents, we could attest that presidents makes mistakes. Pastors make mistakes, parents make mistakes, but it does not render their God-given authority null and void. It's an authority given by God. It's clear that God's plan and purpose for the local church is often, now listen to me and I'm done, is often much bigger than we acknowledge or pridefully choose to admit. It's why it's imperative for us to be the best, for us to be the best glorifying local church 
and to please him and to be the best individual believers in fulfilling his role for us in this world is for you and I to get a hold of these two truths. Listen to me. It's simply this. Our takeaways for today. Number one, I must choose to passionately love the local church as Christ loves the church. It rests upon this truth. If I am to be the member that I am supposed to be, if I am to allow the church to play the role that God designed it to have in my life, I must love it passionately like Jesus Christ loves the church. If you do not, you will miss out on some of those blessings that the ladies sang about a moment ago. Your many blessings. Number two, sometimes harder to swallow. I must willingly choose to submit to the authority of the local church in my life. You know what we do? When someone comes to join membership, we call it, and those terms are, have been misdefined nowadays. Reality is when someone says, I want to come be a part of the local fellowship of Astoria Baptist Church, what they are saying is this, I'm going to submit to the church. Yes, they're joining, but more importantly, what they're stating is, I'm following through on the God-given biblical directive to join a local church, i.e., submit to the authority of a local church. And when you and I do that, can I tell you, you and I have just opened the door for one of the greatest tools that God has given us to become more like Christ. To achieve things for the kingdom of God that we could never dream of doing by ourselves. But as a group, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And that is the great promise of Scripture. Father, I thank you for this truth, and I'm thankful for the great amount of material we've covered this morning. And Father, I I pray that in spite of how much we've gone over, that many of us have allowed these truths to sink in, that our hearts have been opened to the truth of your word. And Father, our love and our passion for our local church has grown. And at the same time, Lord, I, I pray we've been refreshed and renewed in our understanding of the authority of the local church. Lord, we often now in this modern society, authority is viewed so negatively. But Father, I pray that we would see that authority comes from you and that it is indeed a good gift in our lives. So Father, help us to submit to the local authority of our local church. Help us to love it and be passionate about it. And then Father, as we gather together as the church, I pray that we could accomplish great things for you, for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would take these truths and your Holy Spirit continue to, Lord, hammer away on them, continue to ingrain them in our thoughts and our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that glorifies you. Unify us, grow us together, continue to add to our numbers. And Father, grow each and every one of us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. We love you so very much. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I ask you to join me in standing all across with heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll ask the piano begin to to play i don't know what the lord has spoken to you about but i would encourage you why don't you spend some time in prayer father help me to love this church as i ought to help me be passionate about it. father help me to submit to the authority that you have ordained i don't know what it is but i'd encourage you to respond with heads bowed and eyes closed i'd encourage you to come
And you can look this way. Grab your hymnals and turn to page 468. You can be seated there, page 468. While they're getting ready for the baptism, we'll sing, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Page 468. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ. 